Hi, I am Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and I'm here as usual, but I'm here with a very special guest today. Uh, Gary is going to join us about for a discussion about vision friendliness or unfriendliness in games. And we're going to talk about some games that are very vision friendly or that I perceive are vision friendly. And Gary's going to talk to me uh, get, with a lot more expertise about this subject. Gary, why don't you let people know who you are and what your connection is to, uh, to me and Stillmeyer Games? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Gary Bartos. I founded a company called Echobatics, and we work in particular in text accessibility for people who are blind. Um, going back further, I'm actually wearing the t-shirt under here. I'm I'm from the town where the second oldest leader dog school in the country uh, is, Rochester, Michigan. And uh, Jamie and I met sort of by email. And because um, I had asked, I said, hey, or, you know, there's some question about uh, accessibility of Wingspan, which is a obviously a beautiful game. And um, and he said, oh, we're, we're actually working on low vision cards. So then I sent back some, some ideas and lo and behold, here we have the cards now, which is great. So that's how we met. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. We'll talk about those cards a little bit later in more detail too. But um, yeah, in general, I think my company, Stomar Games, has not done a great job with vision accessibility and vision friendly components. We have tried in certain ways, but definitely failed in others. And we're trying to do better. And so I, I am very much looking forward to this conversation with Gary. Um, we're gonna jump around a lot, maybe try to focus on games and, and keep the topics around these specific games. But just as a starting point, um, do you wanna talk maybe a little bit about what we mean when we're talking about making something uh, more vision friendly and why that's important to certain, uh, you have some notes about certain percentages of the population in terms of who right. has uh, some trouble reading and uh, having accessibility towards certain elements of games. Sure. So for me, and, and I have to say for my company, uh, the importance in thinking of making things more accessible, making sure more people can play the games together as a family, as friends, or whatever, is that it's simply a matter of equity. You know, we live in a country where we focus on the quality of a lot and and you know then there's a matter of actually following through and saying what, what does that actually mean if we really think people have equal rights if they should be able to do the same sorts of things it's like well how do we pull it off and we're more aware especially even in the past few years of what that means for people with different disabilities so depending on you look at it, roughly one in six people in the world or any population has some kind of disability um, visual disabilities are large fraction of a billion people, people with dyslexia, that's a billion people worldwide, roughly. Um, so I have what would be considered an impairment, but it doesn't quite reach the level of disability. So I have, I have to say some empathy, people who have significant vision impairment, but I can drive. And so it's one of these, it's, I wouldn't say I have a foot in both worlds, but it's something that I just grew up just you know, looking different and thinking different. I'm obviously a little extroverted, so that's not a problem. So I don't mind meeting people and talking about this stuff. But when we get into accessibility, we think, okay, what different disabilities do people have? And basically how do we design to allow for those without necessarily having to have completely parallel and separate things? So like there are games where um, you can have, for instance, Braille-based versions of something. This would be mm -hmm. related to my company's focus, so people who are blind, low vision. Um, but actually, not that many people read Braille. It's only a fraction of people who are blind. Whereas if you look at people who are blind, and then there's a category above that called low vision, and then there's another group that doesn't have a legal definition, but basically people who are impaired or have impaired vision but don't qualify in any legal way. This is millions and millions of people who would love to play games with their family and friends. Um, so that was my, that's really my interest. And growing up, I loved playing games. I like basically all paper-based things. So how do we make them friendly? Um, larger fonts, higher contrast, um, a lot of traditional games, you know, you don't have text, you just have big playing pieces and boards and they're simple, but it's getting people into the more modern, more complex, deeper games, um, which are very quirky and a lot of fun. Um, that's a, a big interest. So question is you know how do we do that what's the best way to do it it's it's not an easy thing to do as you well know it's there are a lot of things to balance yeah we're going to talk about some of those elements uh, of things that are that we can do um that we have control over and that we can we can do even better um in a few minutes with these games and i do want to add if anyone's watching this video right now maybe someone's watching this with 2020 vision they're like i you know i don't have a problem with this i don't i don't need to watch this totally get that at the same time 
I think anyone, even people with, with perfect vision, have probably played a game or tried to read a book maybe in low lighting or really poor lighting or just an environment that where it was difficult to see. Maybe you're at a giant table and you can't see a card from across the table that you need to read. I think we have probably all experienced those times where we want to be able to see something better than we actually can. And I, that's why I think this is a great topic for, for anyone and especially maybe designers and publishers who want to make our games more accessible to everyone in as many possible environments as possible. So Gary, I really appreciate your time bringing in that uh, both perspectives here so we can figure out how to make games more accessible in terms of vision. Sure. Yeah, it's, um, it's a popular topic among people yeah. who have visual impairments. So we're going to talk about um, your company. I think let's let's talk about your company at the end. I want to have a special section for that after we talk about the games. Um, you do have a section that you sent me that I thought was a great place to start, uh, entitled uh, "Accessibility is Extreme Usability." I really like what you wrote here. Do you, you mind sharing that part? Sure. And this is actually a quote from um, was formerly a, an MIT grad student. So I'm located in Boston. We have MIT Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It's just down the road. And um, Itan Glinert is, uh, well, he wrote his master's thesis about accessibility of digital games. Um, and this is a quote directly from him, accessibility is extreme usability. So you can imagine that um, if you're driving, if you see a sign, if you're in Boston, our signs are tiny. They're really hard to read. <laughs> Whereas you go into most places in the Midwest, like where I grew up, um, and you have nice big signs, every road. This is an example where things are improved for everyone. So you can you know, apply that to other things. If you have large text, it's easier to read. Small text is hard for virtually everyone to read. So it's really, there's just this sliding scale that if you can think, and I call them, the, the, or I think of them as the sort of the canaries, and I'm, I'm one of them in certain ways. Um, if you can think who would be bothered the most by some element, graphical design element, um, text, font size is like, let's see if we can get it to work for them. It'll work better for everybody. And that is actually, that's a, a relatively common concept um, for people who are working in accessibility and improving us uh, usability and, and uh, universal design. So this notion that accessibility helps everyone, ramps really are a benefit to everyone. And they, they came in largely because of the uh, American with Disabilities Act, for example. When you summarize it with four key points here that I'll just read out loud really quick, because I really like these points as a, as a starting point. Learnability, how easy is it to learn to use the system? Sure. Um, efficiency, how quickly can tasks be accomplished? Simplicity, are the controls as simple as possible? And the aesthetic, how pleasant is the user interface experience? And all you said these are uh, designed around digital games, but all of these, I think, apply perfectly to tabletop games as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and we use these same concepts when we're designing products too. Uh, we yeah. use slightly different terminology. Um, these are uh, Glynert's terms, but it's, you, you see this, these are universal design ideas. Like someone, can someone open up a box and understand the rules fairly quickly, or at least get a sense of the game enough that they get pulled in? Um, can they, depending on their vision or maybe some dis disability, can they, um, you know, play around without having to involve a lot of extra mental effort. That's a big one for us, usability. Um, that gets yeah. into simplicity and efficiency. And and the aesthetic also ties into our notion of time. Can you, can you one, when you're playing, is it, is it actually enjoyable or is it rough? And, you know, can you do things in the same amount of time? So, so different ways of looking at this, all of these terms are, I think are useful. So anyone out there, it's like, if you play games and if you're, a, I don't know, software designer, or some kind of engineer, or you're writing papers, anything. I think these terms are relevant to all these different uh, fields. I absolutely agree. And I'll put that that quote and the, that list in the comments below. Also, the, Gary has included a wealth of links and resources in a document that he sent me before we filmed this. I'm going to include those links in the description below. Whether or not we actually talk about all of them today, we'll talk about a lot of them, but they'll all be below. Let's jump in and talk about some games and yeah. how well these games do with their vision accessibility. And I've, I picked games that I thought were very vision friendly. And Gary's going to uh, teach me a little bit here. But um, we start out with Azul. And the version of Azul that I have in love is Azul Summer Pavilion. There are some mm -hmm. photos that you'll see on the screen that show the core original version of Azul. The reason I brought it up is because I think Azul does a pretty good job at dual coding. And that when you have a token in Azul, and I'll open up my copy and pull out a token here. Um, if it does have a color, 
I said, I may have said dual coating. I meant dual coating um, that the color. So here's a, here's a blue token and here's a green token. Not only can you see them if you don't have color blindness, not only can, can you see the color, but you can also see an icon that identifies what that color is. So that's what we're talking about today when we talk about dual coding, at least in terms of color blindness. Right. Uh, Gary, let me know what you think about that. And, and why, don't, why don't you uh, broach the topic of color blindness too? Because that's a big part of vision friendliness. Yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of people, even people with 20-20 vision. So I have a friend who's colorblind. Um, it's relatively common among men, about 8% of all men. So roughly one in 12 men. So in all likelihood, you know someone who's colorblind. They may or may not have mentioned it. Um, and colorblind takes all sorts of forms. It's actually more complex than those of us who aren't colorblind often think about it. But um, if we look at, say, the colors of game pieces, just to jump right into game pieces, mm -hmm. then if you have a game that has like pure saturated red and pure saturated green, some people are going to have trouble yeah. distinguishing these, which is where the dual coding is really handy. I, I got to say, I think this is a, a gorgeous game. They really did this well. Right. So um, nice thing here is that this is a, a little bit desaturated green. So whereas mm -hmm. the red is nice and saturated. So if you were to yeah. the paint program and you say, oh, I'm going to get pure red, pure green. This is not a pure deep green. It's a light green. And you yeah. do have the graphic that's different. So right. this is a great design idea. Um, they've really pulled this off well. I mean, I it's look at it. I, I don't have a copy of this game myself, but now I want one. Uh -huh. um, I'm just looking at a picture of my second screen here. So the fact that you have at least two different ways of distinguishing things is it's better for your brain. It takes less effort. That makes it more enjoyable, easier to get into sort of like the flow of playing the game. Um, personally, I would love it if they added a third element, like a tactile uh -huh. element. There are some uh -huh. people who would benefit uh -huh. from that. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, you do what you can. This is already, um, you know, I'm just looking at the, uh, the pictures that I have. Um, yeah. This is really well done. Um, the, the graphical elements are really distinct. So you have like, you showed some tiles there. Uh, one is a squarish element. So even if someone is extremely nearsighted, right. they may well um, be able to distinguish the squarish element from the circular element, even though they have different levels of ornamentation. And you also included uh, a, an image, I think, of, um, let me make sure I don't mispronounce it, uh, Deuteron, Deuteron, how do you pronounce that word? Deuteronopia. Yeah. Deuteronopia. Um, a tool that I often use when I'm looking at our games is an app called Colorblind Pal. That I have mm -hmm. on my phone, and it lets me. So uh, uh, Gary has included a photo here of what it looks like if you have this type of color blindness, what Azul looks like. And uh, I, I use an app to kind of give me a rough idea of of looking through the the world through the eyes of someone who has different types of color blindness. Not only just one, but you can select the type and um, and hold it up to different images. I think that's a great resource. Did what? Did you use a similar app for for this image? Yeah, I, I just use an online one. My my favorite one, uh, VizCheck, seems to be defunct. Um, and these are, admittedly, these are kind of old style um, apps, but they work. They work great. Um, so the one I yeah. used, uh, anyways, I linked it in here somewhere. Okay. But um, but it's great. And just getting a sense that you know, is this the way someone who's colorblind really sees the world? Yeah. Hard to say, but it just gives you a sense that oh, these two colors aren't as easy to distinguish anymore. So unless they have this additional element like the squarish um, ornamentation of the circle, it can be very hard for someone to distinguish. And they might not mention it because they might look at the game as like, no, I, I don't feel like playing. And that's a big right. thing is people won't even try if they think something's not going to be accessible. And maybe one of the reasons that we're not as familiar with it. You also included an image I thought that was really interesting. Um, you labeled it Azul with blur simulating nearsightedness. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit and what games can be to be to can do to be a little more friendly for those who are nearsighted sure so um you know i'm nearsighted not severely so but if i take off my glasses these i'm old enough these are actually reading glasses um but if i take my glasses off with one eye in particular it's, there's noticeable blur starting you know a few inches away but um you know if i'm holding up say a wingspan card you know i can read it with or without my glasses pretty nice especially since i have the larger font on the vision friendly cards <laughs> uh so that's great but a lot of people, um, and I say a lot, I'm saying it's, it could be a small percentage, but we're talking millions and millions and millions of people, um, have pretty extreme nearsightedness, where even with glasses, it's hard for them to focus on small text and small details. And this is another one of those things like colorblindness. It, it's sometimes hard to conceptualize this if you don't live with it every day. But one thing you can do is simply take an image of something. And I just took an image that was online uh, from uh, boardgamerequest.com, and I just blurred it. Because that's mm -hmm. 
very similar to the experience people have. And if you have blurry vision, yeah. sometimes you say, yeah, that's what it looks like. So a, a particular kind of blurring. So if you, you blurred enough, and one way to think of this is you keep blurring until you reach the point where you say, oh, I've lost detail. Mm-hmm. And if you can blur more with one game than another game, then you have a very rough sense that, oh, for someone who's nearsighted, this is going to be a little bit um, more accessible. So there is actually even a way of quantifying these things. But, but the general thing is, yeah. um, if losing fine details doesn't affect your ability to play the game, not a big deal. It's when you have small text or ornamentation or graphics that are critical to the play of the game that it becomes a real problem. And if Blur just wipes those out, it's like, okay, you can actually essentially know at what point the game won't be accessible to someone. That's fascinating. And it segues well, I think, into the next game, Dune Imperium. Dune Imperium is a game I love. The board, I'm guessing, based on what you just said there about nearsightedness, is fairly difficult. And I'll pull out the board while we're talking about it a little bit. Um, you have some, well, I'm pulling that out. You have some images here uh, regarding the tokens, the different colors yeah. they selected for Dune Imperium. What do you think about those? So, uh, one, I, you know, of course, I love Dune. I just had to throw that in there. But do. Uh, <laughs> So they have, uh, and this is very common in games. I mean, we go back to games like that you play as a kid, like Sorry, where you have these same colors, red, blue, green, and yellow. Um, now, if we take a certain kind of colorblindness, um, duodenopia, uh, it's not easy to say, uh, which is not necessarily the most common, but it really illustrates, again, this is sort of the canary, that yeah. the red and green tokens look the same. And even the yellow tokens don't look that much different. They look like they're the same hue, they just happen to be sort of brighter. So the red and the green here, uh, I think, present a little bit of an issue. If they had used purple and green, that probably would have worked out better. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, you know, these are they have some cool shapes here, and they're they're simple, but they're easily distinguishable. I think for a lot of people, so I, right. I, I do think they they did that well. Um, so that that's cool. Um, and I did include and and if you, you know, throw this into the uh, description of once the recording's online. Yeah. Uh, perhaps somewhat more common and, and less extreme example of colorblindness. You can actually tell the difference in the colors, um, mm-hmm. but you want to design if you can for the little bit more extreme version, where if you do that for that, then it's going to work for everyone who has the somewhat less extreme version of colorblindness, where they just have a weaker sense of red or green or blue. And one thing that I found with these types of tokens, so Dune Imperium is a, is a worker placement game where you're placing workers on the board, on the shared board, um, along with other players' workers, as well as the cubes. The cubes end up kind of mashed together in the middle of the combat area of Dune Imperium. And so you have all these tokens kind of mixing together a, a, a little bit. I think this is a little bit different than if uh, if we had, say, these player colors and I was only placing them on a private area, my own area that no one else is placing their tokens are. In that case, I'm not really ever having to distinguish, differentiate the red tokens from the green oh. tokens other than during setup. There's a little bit of a difference there. This is the board I was trying to pull out that as much yeah. as I love the Dune Imperium board, I can see this potentially kind of blurring, to, oh, that's the back of the board, uh, blurring together um, for someone for nearsightedness. What do you think about that? Gary? Yeah, I, I think that can be an issue. Um, uh, contrast, Actually, contrast and blurriness are, are interrelated. So yeah. um, how sharp something appears also depends on how much, say, sort of native contrast there is. Um, and here, you know, we have a dark board. So it has, the, I mean, it has this clean, yeah. I, I think it's very cool looking, but it's just generally dark. And yeah. um, so that makes it harder. White text is great, but we have some medium darkish elements on with a with a dark background. And the difference between dark brown and dark green isn't, great so it's not that you have to have like a technicolor <laughs> confetti sort of color in the background but yeah. there are occasions where just tweaking a few elements you can enhance the contrast a bit so some people may have a little difficulty telling where the edge of something is if the difference in the two colors forming an edge isn't really that great in general is there uh if, if i'm making a card and i want to put text on that card it, yeah is is it better to put um dark text like black text on a light or white background versus white text on a black background is one inherently better than the other i would say generally black on white is better okay um and again this is different some people say oh what about dark mode i use dark mode on a computer it's mm-hmm. like a computer is different it's emitting versus yeah. seeing reflected light so um 
I think generally, and this doesn't work for absolutely everybody, but for the vast majority of people, dark text on the white background is going to be is going to work well. Um, as long as the printing is really crisp, then white mm -hmm. text on a dark background is good. I would say, especially in this case, make sure that you use uh, a really clear font. You don't want to use uh, like a cursive seeming font or italics or anything that are arguably or 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 sometimes objectively harder to read. Yeah. Um, and it does depend on the other elements that are there. I, I, for instance, and I don't know what it is, you know, so my night vision is starting to go. Um, I'm not young anymore. And I started to have more problems with white text on a dark background. So this is just in the mm -hmm. past couple of years, I'm starting to notice this. So other people, that's yeah. their preference. Uh, okay. But I think generally it's just, you know, if you see it in a book, dark text, light background, that works better. Um, that's true. Yeah. Well, let's bring... In second, we're, we're going to talk about King of Tokyo in a moment. This was a game that um, some Stillmeyer ambassadors perceived as being very vision friendly. And it does look like King of Tokyo has white text or black text on a white background. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's a very stark contrast. I would say the contrast looks pretty good here on these cards. Yeah. What do you think about the vision friendliness of King of Tokyo? Um, so I do see, first I got to say, this looks awesome. I haven't played this. My son is really into um, so the whole Godzilla monsterverse and stuff. So I'm really keen on trying this out. That said, so the what looks to me to be the the so the gameplay text, the really the key text yeah. is black on a on a white background, which is great. Um, it'd be nice if it were bigger. Um, yeah. There are things we can do about that. There, you know, you can have text actually separate from the cards. Mm -hmm. um, but for the sort of title the card title text um like i'm looking at a card right now here in a second screen like a card that's labeled with three and it says metamorph so presumably your character you know can change then there's a shrink ray which is great uh -huh. so number six and so on so there's a little bit of a problem with this text because there's a lot of visual clutter i, I call yeah. it clutter but i mean these are, these are gorgeous cards but there's a lot going on in the background and you have this white text with a sort of often medium darkish outline and outline text can be really hard to read. Um, if the background is a consistent, it doesn't even have to be a flat single color, but as long as it's consistent and then you have white text, that's okay. But another problem that we see here is kerning, which is, you know, mm -hmm. if you have two letters and they're separated, those are easier to read than if two letters are joined. I mean, you know, yeah. comic books and, and art and other places we see, you know, these funky fonts or these hand-drawn fonts and they tinker with kerning and the letter size. And it's cool looking, but it is harder to read. So I would mm -hmm. expect this to be harder, not only for someone who has a visual impairment or say re needs reading glasses, um, but also someone with dyslexia, which even if it's mild dyslexia, which takes all sor sorts of forms, some of this could be kind of hard to read and figure out, like I'm looking at the word burrowing and imagining mm -hmm. it's like, how could someone misinterpret this word or mimic is another word that I'm seeing. Um, yeah. Again, the cards look cool. If you hold them closer, if you take your time, not necessarily a hurry to play the game, but th but that is something to consider. Is um, you know how do you how do you get this cool font, this cool look without rendering this cool looking text uh, uh, too hard to read? Um, and again, it's not a hurry. So no one's taking a test, presumably. Uh, right. You know, reading these cards, but it's nice. It's like, yeah, can we reduce the amount of time it takes for someone to figure out what this word actually is without? reducing sort of the aesthetic appeal, which in this game, I, I think this is really fun and without sort of hampering the the look and the, the, the feel and the style of it, which I, I, I really like for this game. I really do think my son's gonna like this. <laughs> well, I love how, how much you're talking about the, the many different choices, not just size, not just contrast that go into uh, typesetting the text and what you, oh, all yeah. the different decisions that go into that. A great graphic designer will hopefully be aware of a lot of those, but you're bringing up some great things to think about. Yeah. And we've got links on you know, what sort of references can you read to understand not only it's like, hey, here are some design principles on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, here is how people's brains work when they're reading text, when they're, you know, seeing a design, that sort of thing. Um, I really like this mimic card. Yeah, yeah. It is a, cool it's looking. a cool card. It's green, different shades of green, cool looking uh -huh. characters. Yeah. Um, and I, it's been a while since I played King of Tokyo, but I'm trying to remember if uh if there are are face up so there are many games that have like a, a face up array of cards that you can choose from i think you're sure. just drawing from a deck in king of tokyo but i could be wrong about that um 
but there, I think sometimes there is a little bit of a difference between if you're just drawing a card from the top of the deck and from then on that card is either in your hand or right in front of you versus yeah. if you have that card display somewhere on the table. Uh, this is what I hinted at at the, at the beginning of the video, even someone with 2020 vision, if that display of cards is way across the table and it has a bunch of small text on it, yeah. at, it that's not very accessible at all, opposed to uh, limiting that type of card display to cards that have big icons on it, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing is that some people will do this is they have cards in their hand and they'll pick them up and get them really close. I mean, I, I do this yeah. too. Um, some people will use magnifiers. Um, mm -hmm. They'll use the magnifier on their phone. So, you know, optical and digital zoom, all these sorts of things. But yeah, if you start off and the text is a little bit bigger, it doesn't have to be so big that it it hurts when you're yeah. designing these things, but every little bit counts. And then also picking a font where even if the height isn't bigger, it just feels bigger. Like it's clear that um, you can mm -hmm. get ascenders, descenders and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah. you know, you can say, wow, it just looks bigger, even though it's the same size effectively. Let's talk about a unique game here for this category of discussion. This is a game that I have not played. This is called Nyctophobia. And this is a game where most players play essentially with their eyes closed. They play with blindfolds. So they don't even use their eyes at all in this game. They're feeling their way through a board. And there's one player whose eyes are open that are that's trying to get in the way of those players. Yeah. Um, or at least they're, how they're interf interfacing with the board itself. I threw this in here because I thought it was interesting that it takes vision out of play. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Oh, this looks awesome. Um, <laughs> I definitely, there's another one I was like, there are games like, oh, I'd be happy to play this. I think I'll get this. It was like, no, I absolutely want to buy this like this weekend. <laughs> um, this has so many cool elements. It's almost hard to list them all. Um, super high contrast. So, so you know, we're talking here and, and you all will see, you know, elements of this. So we have white elements on a black background. The game that's, mm -hmm. I guess, supposed to be played. It's as if you're playing it at night and you don't see because it's dark. Um, so the high contrast is already good. They're, they're clearly like tactile or tactual elements to it, which mm -hmm. is fun. Like you reach out and you say, oh, okay. I watched a little bit of a gameplay video. And so someone can reach out and you're trying to essentially map out the game board by touch, mm -hmm. which in itself is like, so if someone is visually impaired, especially if they're totally blind or have very little vision, they're going to have a huge advantage in this game. Um, and I'm really looking forward to getting this and playing with some of my friends. So, um, but on top of that, just aesthetically, it's black and white and red, it's, you know, thematic mm -hmm. elements, there's vampire involved blood, but this is just also just a really cool classic design look. So, oh man, you can go on. Just the, it, and in some ways, it's it's like a simulation of a tool that people who teach people who are blind how to mm -hmm. move around the world. Someone's using a white cane. Um, they have a, an instructor, and the, the field or the the um, uh, uh, practice is called orientation and mobility O and M. How do you learn to move right. around the world? And one of the tools they'll use sometimes is a, a tactile map. There's no real standard for it, but people have used that or you know, have used something like that. I have a friend who does a lot of stuff with Legos, uh, showing uh -huh. like a rock climbing layout with Legos. Um, so that's accessible to him. He's totally blind. I think they would absolutely rock this game. And I think they would just absolutely, yeah, yeah, crush me. But I really <laughs> want to play. I don't mind getting just destroyed in a game. I just really want to play this because it looks so cool. And it's such an interesting concept too. Just even aside from the, oh, you're wearing a blindfold. That's cool. It's like, there's a vampire, uh -huh. you know, deal with it. Um, yeah. So I really like this. I, I even had this question. It's like, why haven't more people played this game? Why hadn't I heard of this before? This is just, I, yeah, this is a must have. I came very close to playing it at a uh, kind of a gaming weekend recently, but it was yeah. pretty late at night. And we were all worried if we closed our eyes and tried to play that we would just fall, fall asleep, not due to the game, but due to that, the lateness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. No shame um, being scared either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next game is Parks. This is a lovely game featuring art of the national parks in the U.S. Um, good variety of tokens and, and colors and icons and shapes. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, and one thing to actually to highlight here in this game is that all of the tokens specifically do have unique shapes. So they are coded not in terms of what's printed on the tokens, but in terms of the shapes of the tokens and their colors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think about uh, about this game, Parks? So if I were to just think of my own gameplay for a moment, A, they start off real low because you see the, 
you see the cover that, and it has bears on it. And I love bears enough. Like my son got me this mug. It's a bear playing a keytar. So oh, it's just that's my great. favorite animal. Uh, it's all over the place. My uh, uh, Chinese nickname is Little Bear. So uh, it's TMI. But um, A, I love that. I love parks, love walking, um, all these things. So I, th- I, I love this concept. I love emphasizing. I don't know if I, I don't think I have this postcard set. I think this came out as a postcard set too and a big postcard guy. But yeah. I love emphasizing playing a game that's going to almost convince you it's like i need to go and visit these parks what a what a cool concept and they're they're gorgeous uh the cards are just amazing looking the the fact that the individual pieces are not only distinguishable but they thematically make a lot of sense they're really representing things in a nice slightly simplified way um i do think some people who are colorblind are going to have problems with this because these colors they're a little bit more muted so yeah. if you have two colors that someone would already have di- difficulty distinguishing when both of the colors are muted, then it's a little harder to distinguish them. So you've got the yellow, yeah, yeah the green and this orangey red. Um, it could be problematic, except that you have the shape there and the shape is sufficient. Right. So in a sense, this is, you're, they're kind of done. They've already done the work. So someone who has yeah. limited sight could still feel that too. And they could tell the difference, even if a shape has triangles sticking out of it, um, you can tell, oh, this is more of this like evergreen shape, whereas this is more of a star shape. So I think that's great. How big they are could be a factor for people who have somewhat more limited uh, uh, use of their hands. But wow, they really did a lot of things right in this game. Um, and like, uh, you know, there may be a few elements, but they don't seem to be absolutely critical to gameplay from what little I've seen. Like there's cursive writing, on one card but it's like right. i don't it's bear sighting great smoky mountains um yeah you know if that's not critical to gameplay okay um and again this absolutely lovely picture of a what i assume is mama bear and her cub in front of a oh. waterfall but um if that were critical to gameplay it's yeah i would i would hope they would use um more of a you know clearly machine printed font um but wow just a really lovely looking game one little touch I think that they do well is on these. So one of the core things you're doing in parks is you're picking up a meeple and you're moving it yep. along a, a row of tiles. And those tiles have icons on them. They're probably the most important icons to see in the game because that's what you're gaining throughout the game. Um, and I th- think they do a pretty good job of putting those icons on a white background. Mm-hmm. Like it's art and then the white background and then the icon yep. on top of it. Uh, rather than putting that icon directly on the artistic background so it doesn't blend in. Would you say that's a, a good technique to use? Yeah. So and in fact, some, some people might be concerned is like, oh, I'm not able to get this certain, you know, look that I like. And right. you can see this is like, no, no, these are clearly beautiful regardless. I mean, I mean, look at this. You've got the, the, the number is separate. You've got yeah. three icons that are clearly visible. You recognize them immediately. And in no way do they detract from the image at all so even if someone had difficulty seeing the image if they see the icons they can recognize the color they can recognize the shape you know that's a playable card um i'm also noticing this picture that there are cards that appear to be shaped so they're the interlock yes Um, i wrote some software to do that same shape it implies very clearly without thinking oh these things go together and frankly if someone is difficulty seeing something and, and you know we all bump tables and stuff if the cards are slightly less likely to go all over the place, that's great. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's a that's a really cool design element that I haven't seen much um, before. And oh, there's like, like oh, wow, there are even more shapes than I thought as I continue to look at this. So that's yeah. I, it's really appealing. So that is parks. Yeah. Some great parks. use of, of vision friendliness there. Um, so I picked a, a somewhat simpler, simpler abstract game called yeah. Skull. So Skull is a game where each player has four coasters. Three of those coasters have flowers on them, and one of them has a skull on it. And you're kind of rearranging these coasters and and uh, in, in order of your choosing. And then you go around the table and, and using the game's mechanisms, you're revealing the coasters. So you need to be able to see what's on your coasters, and the other players also need to be able to see what's on those coasters. Uh, what do you think about the vision friendliness in Skull? So one, I think for a lot of people, they're going to be able to tell the difference pretty clearly between these different cards because each card, well, we're looking at, like I'm looking at the Skull cards themselves. Yeah. Um, so each one is like, oh, they're, they're pretty distinctive. But I do think the set brings up 
something that more people should be aware of, even if they already know, oh, hey, there are people, you know, whether it's family members or, um, you know, older folks they see or hang out with, um, whose vision will decline, there is um, one condition that is becoming um, better recognized only in recent years. It's called cortical visual impairment, vision impairment, CVI. So it's actually the leading cause of blindness among kids. Um, elsewhere in the world, and it's generally uh, cataracts, macular degeneration, which is, you know, the back of your eye deteriorating, um, are leading cause of blindness. But cortical visual impairment means that you're eyes may actually not have anything physically wrong with them, but your brain is not interpreting the images in the way that someone who's typically sighted would. So much as I love the design of these cards, they're pretty visually busy. And for someone with CVI, it can, what's curious is if they're looking at something that's visually busy, it has a lot of edginess, which again, this is something you have to kind of see um, yeah. in an image. And I generated an edge image. Um, if there's a lot of edginess, if there's a lot of um, contrastiness, then some of the CVI, their vision can actually dynamically get worse mm. in the moment. Mm, and yeah. I just having a conversation with someone uh, this past Friday where she was telling me that, you know, when she's in a really busy environment, you know, so she can see relatively well and she can become nearly totally blind if it's too busy. Um, wow. That aside, man, it's really hard <laughs> to want to see these cards change because they're mm -hmm. so cool and distinctive um you know reminiscent of like a day of the dead um uh -huh. sort of design so uh you know even if they're blurred they look pretty cool and distinctive um if you if you apply a, a color blindness filter to them you know some of them get a little bit harder to distinguish but it, this is one case where if cost weren't an issue it would be nice to have exactly the same cards but with some of the background and some of the busyness reduced um, because th the designs are cool. Um, uh -huh. I would, you wouldn't want to change it. You wouldn't want to oversimplify these, but you could reach more people or people might find the experience of playing with the cards a, a, a little easier if they were a little bit less visually busy, but otherwise, wow. Yeah. Quite I'm glad you focused on that because I, I think the visual uh, busyness and clutter is is a big deal. Something that I need to learn a lot more about in our games, um, and something that's some other stuff to think about. Even in a game like this, where you really are only looking at one big thing that's on that on that tile, that coaster, but because of all the other fine lines and design, as pretty as they can be, they can detract from that because they've added yeah. visual color to those tiles. Yeah, and I should another thing I should mention is wherever there is contrast is the thing that your eye focuses on. So mm -hmm. if like here, the, the, uh, this particular image um, from uh, wherever I grabbed it online, uh, you know, the, the cards are sitting on this wood grain background. Um, yeah. If the cards were sitting a little higher, if there was something that was even contrast or maybe not these cards, but if you had um, cards with a simpler design and they're sitting on a contrast to your background, if that was, or if there's a background that's a little farther, your eye will be continually drawn to the more contrasty thing without mm. effort. And it's, you won't notice it. It's one of these things. There, there are these effects that we don't notice until we think yeah. it's like, wow, why? I'm kind of tired because uh -huh. your eyes are sometimes drawn to things. They, our eyes have <laughs> autofocus effectively, ours and brains together. So it is another thing to consider is like how busy is the background versus the thing that you want people to focus on. If, they, if, if the thing you want them to focus on is very simple and has little contrast, but it's sitting on a high contrast background, their eyes are actually going to focus on the high contrast background or constantly be sort of shuttling back and forth between the two. That's fascinating. That's, that's incredible. That's a great reminder. Um, let's talk about, so we have a few quick hits here. We talked about most of the yeah. concepts I think that we talked about, but let's talk about Splendor briefly. Splendor has has big icons, has dual coded icons. Um, Splendor is an open information game. So everything that you're seeing is on the table. There's nothing, in fact, I wanted to highlight open information compared to having private information in your hands, yeah. which can be an asset if you're trying to read small text, but also it's information that no one else at the table can see. So they can't help you read it if someone has better vision or worse vision at the table. Right, um, right. Yeah, you want to talk about Splendor? Yeah, so I, I love this idea of open information because it um, it makes some other ways of reading the cards possible or yeah. of associating a card with some text. Someone could read the text. It could be online. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd say, oh, hey, I, I have something. This may require an app or something, but it's like I can recognize that, oh, here's this emerald card what you know text is associated with that i haven't played the game so i don't know the gameplay but if there's some 
distinguishable element that you could see with a camera or that someone else at the table can say, it's like, oh, this is a, whatever it is, emerald, yeah. sapphire. Um, then the text doesn't necessarily, it's great if someone else can read it. I think that's a one, a fun way to in, really get people involved in the game. It's like, hey, you're reading this, someone else, read it in a silly voice, you know, be uh -huh. serious. You know, I don't know what jewelers sound like necessarily, but <laughs> you know, pretend you're a jeweler when you read this. I, I think that's fun. Um, but there is this option since it's open information, you're not revealing something in someone else's hand or in, you know, someone else's private information is you can put it in other places. So here's yeah. an example where if someone were, let's say deafblind, um, so as a combination of disabilities, they, they're hard of hearing or deaf or low vision blind, if they have those two things together, typically called deafblind, capital D, capital B. And so they may want, might want to get, receive this text as um, braille, or they might want to receive the um, text, let's say with an ASL interpreter, something like that. So if you have the text online somewhere and you can access that in some way, there is yet yeah. another way for someone to play a game like this because of the open information. I think it's, it's, it's really neat. Um, uh, and, and besides that, yeah, there are a lot of different colors. We, we do have this saturated red, saturated green, um, mm -hmm. which can be an issue. But then again, we do have these different um, gems and things. The one thing I would say is when you have photorealistic images, yeah. um, uh, Scott McCloud writes about this in Understanding Comics. When you have photorealistic things, um, so on the one hand, they're super specific. It's a little harder sometimes actually to, to recognize photorealistic things versus abstracted cartoony things. Hmm. Um, and for some people with different vision conditions, this can actually make it harder for them to recognize because they're photorealistic, but they're flat. It's like, it's not like you can pick it up and say, oh, it's yeah. an emerald shape like this. It is a uh, 2D representation of a 3D thing. And, and so in that case, I was like, they, they look neat. Um, I mean, I like the look, I really like the look of the Sapphire card here uh, or token, but it would be nice if there was a slightly simplified version of this, eliminate some of the glow, some of the background, um, some of this edginess, the other things we've talked about. There are a few other versions of Splendor too, and I think some of them might do that a little bit better. There's a Marvel oh, cool. version, for example, that might do that a little bit better. Ah, yeah, theme, yeah. theme games are great because mm -hmm. whether they intend to or not, you have some of these things sort of built into it. Yeah. So real quick, uh, the, the, uh, the Crew. The Crew is a game uh, where you do have private information. Private information is crucial to this game. I, I think the cards do a pretty good job of dual coding. What do you think uh, in terms yeah. of that? No, I, yeah. I agree absolutely. The, there's large, easily readable uh, numerals on the cards. Um, yeah. They have uh, distinctive colors. So the pink is sort of a purplish pink, sort of a hot pink, which is which is neat. And I don't, I didn't test these in the colorblindness checker, but yeah. um, I do think these would be a little easier to distinguish than if it was, say, saturated pure red and saturated pure green. The green is a little bit yellowy green. Um, yeah. The graphics are a little bit lower contrast, but as long mm -hmm. as someone can make up the numbers, like this reminds me of, it, 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 I'm assuming there's a, a bit of a step up here, but it reminds me of Uno, which is a very accessible game with, you know, numbers and they're very distinct things. And yet, you know, there's a lot of fun playability there. So um, another cool looking game and a cool concept. I like seeing all these cards next to each other too. Yeah, I think they might line up into a, an image. Yeah, uh, it's like International Space Station with people in different right places. So, um, so this is, uh, and it looks even the design. The fact that they've got the numbers in the corner with these, like there's a triangular symbol and a square and a circle and an X. So very distinctive yeah. shapes. But the fact that here they've they've not not only have they not hurt the 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 look of the thing, the aesthetic, um, the aesthetics of these cards, but the way that they essentially have the image avoiding the text it looks really cool it has it it, yeah. it fits this theme the space theme I this this is neat this is another game that uh we'll see I'll 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 show my son the the cards and just say hey do you think you might want to play this game and and then I'll uh, show him the Godzilla the, the yeah. <laughs> I think I know which one he's going to go for <laughs> so I brought up seven wonders as a game that I thought was pretty visually accessible you have some great comments here about it the reason I assumed it was is because seven wonders is a game where you're drafting cards so you have these cards with uh, pretty big icons on them that are very close to your face and then you do put them on the table in front of you but you are never looking across the table to see someone else well you kind of look maybe a little bit across the table but at that decision point of which card am I choosing they're right in front of your face you're choosing that card but you have some great comments here about why it probably could be a lot more accessible 
Maybe so. First, I have to say that's a great comment because I probably would have completely missed this. Uh -huh. It's like if you have the cards here most of the time, you've eliminated one of the major problems um, or, or you know one of the solvable problems, let's say, that we've talked about in some of the other games. Yeah. Um, that said, some of the contrast here is 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 low. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the designs are cool and it and I like the fact that they tie the theme in in so many different ways. But like I'm looking at this um, in this image, this is a craftsman guild card uh text is a little bit like here i'm you know turning my head because the card is the text is vertical yeah. so you would actually have to turn the card to read that um but it's understandable because you go vertical and then you have more room and you can actually make the font a little bigger or that you know font size but then we have like these icons and in this particular image um i'm trying to think if i've played this game before this looks really familiar but um in the upper left corner as often happens is like we have of this particular purple card we have two i, ca I can't make them out um yeah. And, and so seeing this in an image where I'm seeing uh, seven cards at once spread on a table, um, which is not a bad simulation of someone with less vision than I have seeing this is like, other than these are, there's kind of a goldy thing and there are two silvery things on it. I'm not sure what they represent because the contrast is so low. And in the middle top of that card, there is a number two. So it's black. That's nice. But then that text is right in the middle of a lot of visual busyness of this uh, light greenish background. It's not, I shouldn't say a lot. It's not terrible, but, um, you know, it, it could be improved. And I think, again, without really diminishing the aesthetic appeal of the cards. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think it would be nice if, if they come in another edition, if they just make some tweaks. Sometimes all it takes is tweaks. Every little bit you can do, like, talk about wingspan a little in advance yeah. but you know wingspan has so much in it you want all this information um so it's not that you can pull everything off the cards and leave the same game if you if you end up really diminishing the game that that's not good but if you can improve accessibility for some number of people you know that that's great so here i think the same thing is they could make some of these elements bigger if something is not critical to gameplay maybe make it smaller um mm -hmm you know, tweak things a little bit. It doesn't, you don't have to have these saturated colors on top of saturated colors all the time. Yeah. But this and the coins, the coins that are different sizes, I, that is, that's pretty nifty. Yeah. You also share here the, the reference guide, which yeah. once you know Seven Wonders, you don't have to look at this guide very often, but there are a lot of icons in the game. And so your first few games, you are often referencing this guide and you yeah. have some good points about the, how the text is, is a bit small. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's small. One, one thing, and this sort of bothers me anyway, this is more of a designer thing, but um, like des designing text um, is that, and I understand why they do this is like one, they're representing their different graphics and icons. And, you know, if something is four graphical elements, why do you show it four graphical elements? Why do you show it in the right relative size? That's great. But one of the issues is that if someone's reading the text for, on this card, um, so your eye, if you're skipping down, is going to go one, two, three, four, and then has to jump in. And then for the next element, which may be smaller, is jumping back. And it's like if you've seen these things, say, on Facebook, where you use some certain background or something, it automatically center justifies everything. This is horrible because uh -huh. your eyes reading it is going, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And especially as you get older, this is tiring. Left justify, you know, or you can, yeah. you know, justify the left and right, or just find some way. It's worth the additional effort to find some way where if you want it center justified for whatever, if it's more than a title, please don't. But if you want it center justified for some reason, A, reduce the number of lines and B, try to make sure they're even. Uh -huh. um, otherwise it, it's like, you know, your eyes are exercising unnecessarily. It's like, you know, yeah. running up steps or something. It is eventually a little tiring. All those little bits together add up to more effort. Well, let's talk about some of those little bits. Before we talk about your company, let's talk about the Wingspan Vision Friendly Cards because, yeah. um, I'm not going to pretend that they are, are the perfect solution, um, but what we tried to do with these cards is find a way to make Wingspan's cards more accessible, more vision-friendly, based on a number of different elements, font size, contrast, clutter, um, uh, and uh, we reached out to experts like Gary, and one of our key proofreaders, Brian, has some, some great uh, expertise about this subject as well, and so we tried our best to make the cards within the main constraint. The main constraint here, the tough part was the card size couldn't change because we needed the card to still fit on the player mats and wingspan, right. which are also constrained by the box. If we make the player mats bigger, they don't fit in the box anymore. So we had to fit everything on the same card. And Gary had some great thoughts, I think, that ended up 
And so Gary may hold up some examples here. We have a joke and yep. also put up some full examples on the screen to show you the original card versus the uh, versus the new version and some of the little touches we implemented. Great, yeah. maybe we have them this way. So, um, so we have the original card, the vision friendly card. Um, and first I have to say is you feel it not perfect. And so you're thinking of it as like, oh, there are more improvements can be made. You're thinking of it in a more negative way. Whereas I'm thinking is like, oh, this is so <laughs> um, Because more people can enjoy it and they're writing about it online. And it's one of these yeah. things, it's a word of mouth thing. It takes a while to build up, but you know, I, I do see one comment after the other people saying, wow, I'm excited. I'm going to get this for so-and-so. It's like, oh, my, yeah. might not be the person who's going to take advantage of it is the person who's finding it. They're going to say, oh, I'm going to, I can now play this with my mom. So yeah. we have the original card and we have the vision friendly card. Um, yeah. So you can uh, play everyone uh, there who can, you know, if you can read the text, you see some of the other changes um, like, sorry, no, I'm almost backwards. The uh, um, text being larger the uh we've talked about contrast so now we have dark text very dark text on a very light background so this is a significant improvement in readability um and even some people will say it's like oh i you know perfect vision and i prefer this yeah. um and and some of them go so far as to say it's like i don't know why the original cards aren't like this it's like <laughs> well i mean the original color scheme and everything ties together it's gorgeous <laughs> so um i you know i didn't mind certainly having cards like this or you mm -hmm. know and i certainly don't mind i actually i'm more of the uh digital uh, uh wingspan player but um having all these elements tied together and having the colors and having them these you know muted ochres and things just gorgeous but in terms of readability having the very light background is a significant benefit um yeah. you know we also have graphics that have gone from this size which is already it's not small but making them bigger so we see mm -hmm. here certainly helps. They're and a little more spread out over there too. Yeah, spread out as well. Yeah. Um, so this gets to uh, contrast and legibility and distinguishability also depends on spacing, you know, in addition yeah. to the, you know, the color contrast and so on. Um, and one thing, and I know I will take the blame for this one, <laughs> but you know, the 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 fact that the bird facts which are so it's almost like a whole game all by itself. The bird facts are not on the vision-friendly cards, but but here's a trick. You have your original set with the bird facts, right. and someone who is fully sighted can read those, reads them out loud when someone else who has the vision-friendly cards does not have the bird facts. Everyone enjoys it, and it's another fun part of the game. It's you're reading out loud. It's like, here we have, you know, David Attenborough, someone doing their best. I won't even try their best David Attenborough voice, reading off the 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 bird facts. Um, you know, in a single dead tree, these birds may drill as many as fifty thousand holes for storing acorns. That's the acorn woodpecker. Uh -huh. I think alphabetically, the first one, and also like uh, the the Latin, the scientific name has been removed, um, making room for a, a little bit bigger text. Um, yeah. But this is one of these, I mean, I mean, just when I was first writing about this, it was clear at the beginning, it's like, there's so many things that you have to balance here. Not every mm -hmm. game is going to balance so many elements and do it so well. So I think given all of the constraints, um, I do think it's a marvelous job. I'm not just saying that to buddy up either. I, you know, I, I think my enthusiasm probably came through my <laughs> first email, how cool this was. Um, so there are so many elements to balance, but I think the the big point here is no matter what the game design is, no matter how complicated, you can probably make small changes. And if you just increase the base of people who can play, even if you increase it slightly, you know, adding more people to the game, more people can play, more people can play together on whatever your game night is. Um, and it can take just a few little, oh, I'm just noticing another thing, just a few little changes. Like for instance, in the original cards, the, the actual wing span is shown with a uh, number followed by centimeters. Whereas, and I do, I do this, so I'm all an engineer. I just do this in general. Is I like to have the numbers and the centimeters on different lines, so that once this you is your idea, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, you yeah. you see the number. You don't have to be continually reminded. Oh, it's centimeters instead of say inches. So we'd use typically right. in the states. So not only does that make it more readable, and then also the, um, you know, you can change the contrast of the numbers, which are technically more important than the units. So there, yeah. there are a lot of little things that you can do and all these little tweaks, they, they add up to create really this game that's expanded um, the audience base for Wingspan, um, which again, 
the really kudos for doing that. You can, I, I still think I go around to just telling everybody how exciting and, and, and what a big deal this is because a lot of, a lot of game makers in the past, it's like, it didn't, it didn't occur to them. They say, Oh, we're going to complete, we're going to create a completely separate version of the game for people who know Braille, which is like, you're skipping over everyone in between. Yeah. So, whereas this is, is really, I don't know, it, it's, I, I consider to see it as, as this wonderful thing. I was, I was so happy to, to be even make these suggestions and pass them along to you, knowing that you would consider them. But, and I, I am so appreciative of, of your time and talent and adding to that and making those cards more accessible. It was a very interesting process um, uh, to, and, and even those little details, like the, the, the centimeter, which I think, I think that might've been your idea when we made that change. Yeah. I had never even noticed that. And then when we moved it to the, the, the bottom line, it just makes it so much easier to like, when you need to look at that, you don't always need to look at the card's wingspan, right. but when you do need to, and you're scanning cards, when you're flipping over a card from the top of the deck, it's just easier to see that number. It's just a yeah. little change too. Um, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you, you made all those suggestions. Oh, you're most welcome. And I guess even looking at the cards, as I'm sure many of us do, um, when you're not playing the game and you're just like, oh, I just want to compare these birds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's great to be able to do it quickly that way. So Gary, like I said, he included a lot of wonderful resources on a document that I can see right now. I'm going to share some lists and some links and things like that, um, including he has a wonderful list of app games that are vision friendly and mostly work with voiceover. So I'll share that in the in the description. I would love for you to talk about, about what you do um, sure. with your company, Gary, if you don't mind any with that. And if you have any closing thoughts as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, briefly, we work, again, on text accessibility for people who are blind and visually impaired or people who have other print disabilities. So um, dyslexia is, is the big one. And in particular, our initial focus is to make touch screens accessible. So that includes appliances. So there are a lot of people Live in who live in apartments or in condos or whatnot, they have appliances and they can't even use them because to someone who's blind or someone who has relatively less vision, um, something like a, a microwave just feels like it's just a, a featureless pane of glass. Hmm. So imagine trying, you want to reheat, like most people use their microwaves, just reheating things or heating things up for, for dinner, like two minutes, 30 seconds, three minutes. Um, imagine if you had to approach this and it was just a completely black field and you just had to sort of figure out where everything is. A lot of people have this experience. Yeah. Just yesterday, we went to a, an event where the elevators were controlled by touch screens. And this was an event about companies working in disability tech. And so the building wasn't designed with this in mind. We thought it's like, these things are completely inaccessible. How is someone going to be able to use the elevator? So my colleague, Mia, who is legally blind, couldn't use the thing to call the elevator versus having push buttons. So, so we're focusing on that. So menus, you, we all see more and more of touch screens, uh, more and more touch screens coming to play. It's actually making accessibility worse. So, but longer term, what we wanna do is basically address other areas where text accessibility can improve. So one thing we're doing, it's sort of a side effect of our work is making it so people can read game cards. So game cards, standard, cards like your acorn woodpecker from wingspan um so if they have these cards in their hand they want to read them this is one of the things that our app is going to do so we have an iphone app and then even going beyond that once you start saying oh we want to make text readable well text is related to things like indoor navigation a lot of mm -hmm. us navigate by it's like oh i see a sign i do this it's just a few things here and there so if you can make text accessible while navigating and you can say, oh, the text is here. And the next thing you have to do is this, look for is this text. Um, then there's certain kinds of navigation that become a little bit easier, especially in unfamiliar places. So there's that. And then broadly working with other companies in disability tech, um, people who make maps, people who do other things, people who work to address other disabilities, um, people who are deaf, hard of hearing. So there's a lot of overlap. So one way to solve these problems is get as many people <laughs> working on this possible and say, hey, you focused on your thing, great. We wanna work with you in some way. Um, just the way, you know, you and I sending emails back and forth. Yeah. We wanna do that with technology companies. It's like, oh, hey, someone knows somebody. And even having just a few connections, all of a sudden it's clear, like how many people know somebody who will be helped by this? How many people know mm -hmm. someone whose aunt, whose friend, whose sister, uh, whatever, will benefit from having like vision-friendly cards? It's the same thing on the tech side is, oh, we have an app, someone else has a widget. Um, there's a website you can go to it. Let's tie all that together. 
So that's 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 what we're trying to do. I love the, the work that you're doing and the 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 effort for accessibility and inclusivity. It's it's wonderful to hear that. Um, and it's wonderful to talk to an expert. I I I I almost filmed this video. I, I was almost like, I'll just jump into this video and talk about stuff. But I was like, no, I I I need Gary here to talk about this. And I'm so glad you're able to join me today for this conversation. I'll include all the links, including a link to Echobotics in uh, the link below or in the description below. Any other thoughts before we close out for today? Um, no, just the last one is really, um, you know, the reason all this work and the fact that we're talking about it, at least in my mind, is you know, accessibility sounds like this very serious thing. You do this and you do that. It's literally about including more people in fun things. We all want to do that. We all want to have fun. We all want to enjoy ourselves. Like there's work and school and there's uh, whatever, all these other things that would be very serious, but fun is like, uh, why not include more people when we're having fun? We're enjoying ourselves and a little with a little bit of a challenge, which also makes it fun. This is why, you know, I love doing these sorts of things. I like that way of saying it, including more people in the fun. Yeah. That's something we can all aspire to, especially game designers and game publishers. Gary, thank you so much for your time today. If anyone has any questions, um, feel free to post in the comments below. I'll make sure that Gary can see them whenever we, we whenever this video goes live. I'll let Gary know. Um, yeah, yeah. But let us know your thoughts and comments in the in the comments below. All right.